All right, everybody, welcome to an episode of Hive Live. Hive somewhat live, really. It's a bit of a cheat one. It's a pre-recorded webinar for everybody today, but I'm very pleased to have a wicked panel and for a very important topic around inclusion and belonging in the workplace. But before we jump into that, I would like to introduce, well, I would like to get the panel to introduce themselves. Uh, so Lucy, if we want to kick off with you. Yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Lucy Craggs. I am the People and Culture Executive at Hive HR. I've been in this position since November last year, but I've been with the company around about two years. I'm fairly new to the HR world in terms of actually being in the job role itself. Um, very much baby HR, but um, sort of jumped in with Hive in building up our um, talent strategy and our EDI. So I'm really excited to talk about inclusion and belonging in the workplace today. Fantastic. Tracy? Hi, everybody. Um, my name's Tracy Alvin. I'm the People and Culture Director at Hive. Um, I'm quite the veteran of HR. I've been in HR for 30 years um, and I've been with Hive nearly one year. So it's nearly coming up to an anniversary of me being here. So it's been an exciting journey and we've got an exciting 2022 ahead as well. So looking forward to working with all the team on our people strategy for this year. And last but by no means least, Charlotte, if you want to introduce yourself, please. Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte Axon. I'm a lead people scientist at Hive, uh, definitely the best job title I've ever had. Um, and essentially I work in partnership with uh, organisations to help them access employee voice, understand what that's telling us and what to then do with it. Um, really, really interesting um, work that we, that we do at Hive and belonging and inclusion is a, is a natural and key facet of uh, employee engagement so that's where a lot of my interest lies uh, prior to working at Hive uh, I'd previously worked in areas around diversity inclusion and wider HR so um, yeah I'm really excited to be talking with the rest of the panel today about this uh, really important issue. Fantastic and just uh, for anyone who's wondering I have nowhere near as impressive uh, a set of credentials as, as the rest of the panel but I'm Ben Lind and I am merely the host for this journey through uh, information around inclusion and belonging. So I think the big question really to kick off with and uh, I'm happy just to sort of throw this out here to the floor for anyone who you know is, is watching this and might be a little bit you know unsure around I guess how really to articulate you know inclusion and belonging. I mean throw it out there really quick headlines what is it and, and why is it important to organizations who's going to be who's going to start yeah <laughs> um well I, I guess from my perspective why it's important um i think it's important on a, a number of different levels um it it brings a level of um diversity within the organization so different perspectives different views and opinions on different topics you get a really good, good blend of um, those different ideas. So it, it helps with innovation, it helps with your culture, it helps inform the culture. Um, it really dovetails into kind of the performance of the organization as well, because if you've got that really inclusive um, behavioral and really inclusive culture, that really just breeds and breeds. Um, and then it, it really creates a brilliant environment for all of our employees to work in. So I think the inclusion part really informs the diversity element of it as well, because I, I, I believe, you know, if, if you are inclusive, then that naturally just drives the diversity element of it. So that's kind of my view, I guess, over to you, Charlotte, you know, in terms of your expertise and where you see it. 
Yeah, so I think kind of fundamentally for me, there's the the business side of it and some of that you've already touched on, Tracy. So there's a lot of researching, evidencing the, the positive link between diverse and inclusive uh, workplaces on on uh, metrics like performance. But on the human level, you know, everyone wants to belong. People want to feel like they, they fall into a space where they've kind of found their people. And that can be an incredible, powerful thing. And uh, you know, sometimes when you're in a space and you feel like you belong, that's a really, really positive feeling. And definitely when you're in a space where you don't feel like you belong and you're not included, that's also a very, very powerful feeling. And, you know, some people will carry those feelings around with them as, as they move through work. So I think it's really important for us to understand you know, within our organisations and with other within other organisations, what impact that could be having on people. It's going to bring so many positives when you've got a, a workforce that feels kind of engaged and included and, and like they belong. Uh, and we really want to avoid those negative impacts where people feel like, you know, this is not for them and they, you know, feel excluded at work. It, it feels like a no brainer for me, but but obviously um, there's so much that, that sits around identity uh, and, and, and people because people are kind of complex, uh, mm. complex beings. And I think what we'll probably talk about further in, in, in our discussion is, is the need to focus on people as individuals and everyone being different and the, the power that that can bring when we really harness the difference uh, that people bring to, to their roles. Um, but yeah, Lucy, keen to hear from you as well. No, I, I think you've both hit um, exactly what I was going to say as well, is that the importance for inclusion on, you know, not only creating that culture of psychological safety, but um, making a workforce that is happy and feels comfortable in the place that they are. You know, uh, th things like making a conclusive environment is always going to be really beneficial in terms of recruitment and retaining your staff. You know, you're, you're matching up personal values with core values and it just it brings it all together. And it's, it's the difference between people looking for a job and, you know, looking for a career. And that's really something that we're focusing on a hive. We want, we want people to feel like it's somewhere that they can belong and they can really learn and grow in. Yeah, we have a little saying where we have thrive and hive, and that really just kind of cements that whole idea of being inclusive and belonging to the organisation when we bring that together. Can you be included without necessarily feeling like you belong? Are they very much one and the same or do they sit as two sort of separate things in your opinion? Because if I go to, you know, I can see some businesses kind of looking at this and thinking, well, yes, we're very inclusive. You know, we've got some of this demographic, some of that demographic, you know, maybe we, we've stacked our recruitment policy in such a way, but, you know, maybe the mechanisms may not be in place to actually, uh, you know, work with, you know, varying identities or, or demographics inside an organisation. So do you think it's possible to have one without the other? Ooh. Big <laughs> waiting for somebody else to jump in there um I, I personally think that they do come hand in hand uh back to that thing about the values I think if if we have you know we have our four company values and they're very much based on making people feel very included but also that's woven into them belonging with the company as well so for example one of the the ones that I'll hold personally as well is respect respect for one another I think that creates both the inclusion and the belonging which they sort of intertwine um personally I don't think that there is one without the other. Um, I, I don't think that it's something that can be exclusive, but more than happy to hear uh, different <laughs> opinions on that one. I think, um, personally, I, I, I don't think, I, I do think they're intertwined. I think, you know, that they run hand in hand, but I do also um, think it's sometimes that 
you know, there's a there's a thought process there that if people have the policies and things in place, then um, the, the natural inclusion, people will feel that they belong. But unless they're really embedded in the organization and they're really lived through the values, then that doesn't really happen and they don't really kind of join up. So I think the perception um, of that is that the connect is, is absolutely right. But in reality, I don't think it always happens. And I think that depends on how the organization really lives and breathes, how they do those things. It's mm. a good point that Tracy. Charlotte, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to completely agree with with uh, what both Lucy and, and Tracy have said, and that um, it's about kind of I guess the, the perception if an organisation is is claiming to to be inclusive, but actually you know people actually don't feel a sense of, of belonging, then you've kind of you've missed the point a little bit. And so so perhaps you know when I reflect on the question that you've asked Ben, that perhaps belonging is almost like a, a stronger measure of, of inclusion, where I don't feel as though you could have a sense of real belonging if you didn't feel included but perhaps people feel uh, inclusion within different parts of their kind of working identity but whether they truly you know feel as though that they belong in this place and they've kind of found their found their people um maybe it's yeah maybe it's kind of a, a stronger sense of of inclusion um i don't know you'll have to come back to us on that for a part two then <laughs> yeah we're asking we're kicking off with the really big questions today but um cool well i think that you know we, we've really i think we've done a great job there like early on of articulating like what it is and, and why it matters and maybe even identifying early on like a couple of the potential you know, discrepancies or, or, or pitfalls around something like this, you know, not being taken seriously enough or maybe not being, uh, you know, implemented to its fullest potential, should we say. But, you know, let's let's dial up on the positives for a second. Let's talk about sort of what happens when we get it right. But, you know, if you want to reverse engineer getting it right, you have to start it in the first place. And I think one of the things that probably you know, I think one of the kind of the big barriers to conversations around, you know, inclusion and belonging and everything is, is that sort of hesitation or that fear around getting it wrong, right? And I think one of the important things to start with is, you know, how have we demonstrated or how could we talk to other organizations around kind of getting rid of that fear of getting it wrong? Is it a case of just making a start and not letting perfection be the enemy of progress? Yeah, and and I, I do think you, you you have to start somewhere. There's always a journey and there's always a beginning and there's always a middle and there's and sometimes that you know people always say there's an end. For me, there's never really an end. There's almost just an involvement of that. So I think what the businesses have to do, and in particular, I think what we're looking at doing here, you know, partnering with our own people science team is starting that journey and looking at you know, who is Hive, what do we want, how do we, you know, how do we um, want our culture to kind of shape and mould and, you know, evolve as that goes on. So there's got to be a starting point. Um, and, and I think people need to just forget about being perfect because it doesn't exist. <laughs> that, that My view anyway, it just doesn't exist. Um, and there will always be somebody along that journey and along that road who will come along and, you, you know, put a different perspective into it and make us think a little bit differently. And as long as we are open um, to that, then I think that really enriches that whole inclusion and feeling that, that they belong to that organization because 
that active listening is really, really important in this topic. And we have to go through the journey, making sure that we actively listen to what people are telling us and how they want it to shape out as well. So um, no, perfection doesn't exist. And, you know, we find a starting point and just grow and, and develop and evolve it from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Tracy's bang on with that. I think the, the big thing to remember is that um, things like equality, diversity, inclusion, it's, it's an ever changing field. You know, there is never going to be um, a sense of perfect, you know, we're getting this all right. And um, I mean, as a bit of background, before I went into the role that I'm in now, I was in our customer success team. Um, and there was, there's been a huge growth um, in people doing these sort of equality and diversity surveys and most of the time we had customers who would be coming to ourselves or the people science team and sort of getting us to double check are we doing this right are we asking the right questions and it was that what you were talking about Ben that that fear of getting it wrong that was stopping people from sort of jumping in full force and you know really pushing uh, inclusivity in the workplace because there is this fear of you know if I say the wrong thing if I do the wrong thing if I implement you know, the wrong thing. Am I going to marginalize one group? Am I going to upset some people? And that that stops things from really getting off to a start. Um, I know it's something that we we've always said ourselves at Hive, we're not specialists. We aren't, we aren't um equality and diversity specialists. However, we are totally open at being completely transparent in what we're doing ourselves, letting our customers and anyone who's asking know what it is that we're implementing, we're doing to sort of drive inclusivity and belonging in the workplace and to help and support in that way. Um, we have our, our new thing at Hive Plus, which is amazing for sort of HR professionals to discuss a bit more what they're doing. And, you know, we use it to discuss what we're doing as well. And I think that sort of, that network really helps with that. It's, I think the more people talk about it, the more they open up about the pitfalls of the things that they're doing right and wrong, the more that's going to grow and get better. Yeah, and you mentioned transparency there. Um... I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I came up in kind of, I've been sort of around the, the startup culture for a little while. And I remember being, you know, maybe in kind of the mid, mid 2010s when, you know, radical transparency was this thing that first came around. And I've kind of seen both sides of it, right? Because I think that the meaning of it has almost, you know, evolved as people's understanding of, you know, inclusion and stuff like that. Because, you know, when I was, you know, in my kind of early 20s, I worked at a business that, you know, proclaimed radical transparency, and they just used that as a, well, I'm going to speak to you however I want to speak to you, and I'm just being radically candid here. So what would we, how do we, what does radical transparency mean to us as an organization? Or what should it mean to organizations that don't just want to use it as like a blanket, you know, I'm going to say what I'm going to absolve myself of communicating without, you know, thoughtlessly is probably a good way of saying that. Mm. I mean, I think the transparency um, element of it is something that needs to be measured. Um, and, you know, you think about what information is, is really pertinent to the, in, to the, to the organization, to the business. And what information do you maybe need to just kind of look at it and think about the positioning of that information. So I'm not a, fan of kind of everything open there and I actually think in some ways that damages and it can be damaging and more limiting to to kind of what we're talking about now being inclusive and diverse because sometimes then individuals can you know forget about the values that you've got in place um so yeah I think transparency yes 
measured in terms of the the message and being consistent with that message in terms of that you want to get across. And I think kind of fairness underpins a lot of this as well. So often, you know, people are, are thinking, well, um, you know, I expect that my my leaders will will role model the behaviours that they that you know, they expect of me. So, you know, it kind of doesn't matter where someone sits in the organisation. Everyone is just people at the end of the day. Um, but, I, you know, that kind of treat people how you how you like to be treated kind of approach has some uh, relevance, I, I think, there. And, and in terms of, you know, transparency and honesty, I, I do think um, to, to create that sense of psychological safety, leaders need to kind of admit when, things haven't gone well and make mistakes you know we're you know we're all human and I think employees appreciate that I don't think it means that you share absolutely every element of everything like like Tracy said because that is not always going to be productive but it means I think sharing the important stuff and sharing the stuff that actually people want to hear and if if you're not sure what it is that people want to know then then ask them uh, and you'll you'll probably find out that way and I think I would approach this the same way that I approach a lot of uh, topics that, that I work with customers on, which is, um, you know, just because you're not asking it, just because you're not seeking to find it out doesn't mean that it's not existing. In fact, all you do by avoiding issues and not prepared, being prepared to approach things head on is just, you know, put stuff underground further. And I think you just have to be prepared to approach stuff and, and, and challenge stuff, ask the questions that you're almost afraid of getting the answers from. For me, that's a level of transparency and openness that, that I think is, is important when we're talking about inclusion and belonging, rather than, like you said, the kind of radical transparency where it's about sharing everything and anything with everyone. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that, you know, you've said there, Charlotte, like, you know, if you don't know, ask. And I think part of it is, you know, like Lucy alluded to, there is actually, I think a lot of organisations, they're not sure what to ask, right? So and when you were talking about the importance of, you know, kind of that executive team or SLT or whatever you want to call them, and, and kind of having that relationship, like, I'm kind of throwing this out there as an assumption, like I imagine for us at Hive, you know, kind of at the start of this journey and appreciating that, you know, what's going to be right at one stage of the business's life cycle might not necessarily be as correct for the next stage of it. You know, I imagine we're in a bit of a fortuitous position, you know, able having kind of ex, in-house expertise, if you like, to kind of ask these questions and understand maybe the evolutions in, in this kind of, in this kind of space. Yeah. And I think with it, with any question that you ask people, you've got to think about what do I, what do I expect from a response? Mm. You know, you've got to kind of put yourself back in that position and think, well, if I was asked this question, am I going to get the, the, the outcomes that I'm expecting? And by that, I don't mean let's phrase it in a way where we hear what we want to hear. Um, I mean, are you asking the question in, in a way and through an avenue which is going to lead to the most productive insights? And yeah, that's what, you know, we're here to support organisations with and hopefully what we can, uh, you know, do internally within within our own business. Um, and yeah, that that is kind of a, a skill and I will always kind of play that back to the organisations that, that I'm working with and thinking, well, once we've put this question out here, we can't retract the question. What is it that you expect from these answers? And is there anything that you're afraid to ask and I could challenge you and say actually maybe maybe you should ask that because to be honest a lot of the time people will tell you it anyway sometimes people find ways of telling you things even if you haven't asked them because they're just so frustrated (laughs) I can see that I can see that Tracy have you got anything to add there about maybe from maybe from that kind of executive perspective like has there been 
you know, n naming no names and not necessarily talking about Hive, of course, but, you know, have you maybe seen firsthand kind of an example of that, like, oh, you know, we, we need to ask this guys, like it's time just to get that question out there and, and, and yeah. see what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And th there is sometimes a fear around asking some of those um, difficult questions, but, you know, Charlotte's point is absolutely bang on. You have to ask them because you have to get under the skin of what really is going on in the organisation to look at anything that you need to do. So, you know, sometimes it can be uncomfortable and sometimes you have to prepare yourself for what you're going to get back. But in, in that, it's it's for the greater good of the, the organisation and for the employee base going forward. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers, answers it at all, but yes, and... and it, Unfortunately, in my position, you're, you're kind of that mediator where you're going, we really do need to ask this question. And then you've got maybe some of the other, you know, areas of the business where we'll go, well, no, we don't need to do it. But, you know, you have to then have a level of influence and um, kind of measures around why you want to do that and the rationale behind it to get to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, then let's let, let's take it into maybe more of the, the actual the doing of it. Yeah. So, you know. Charlotte, I guess we'll throw to you for this first in one, like, what are some of the lookouts? Like, how are we seeing, you know, organisations doing this, would you say? Yeah, so, um, so I think first and foremost, a lot of organisations are really wanting to tackle this, are being brave, are really wanting to approach this, are, are sensing that, you know, a lot happened uh, last year and in 2020, which was the year before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I've, lost, I've lost where we are with the years, to be honest. <laughs> the 25th um, month of 2020, isn't it? Feels like that. <laughs> Absolutely. But people have really recognised that this isn't something that they can make assumptions about or, you know, leave on the back burner for, for, for much longer. And like we said, it, it, it kind of underpins a, a lot of, uh, you know, what, what we talk about when we talk about employee engagement anyway. So I, so I have seen a, a lot of that. When, um, when I'm thinking about insights and trying to understand what those insights are telling us there's quite a few things that that I'm mindful of when I kind of put on my you know inclusion glasses um and and one of those is 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 thinking about um when we look at the responses who's who's not reflected in those responses so kind of you know recognizing that there are different groups of people who are less likely to to respond to surveys and what is that telling us do we do we have the views of everyone who, who we need to, to take this forward and make informed decisions? And actually, naturally, you know, we're going to have fewer responses from minority groups because minority means that there's, there's less. And are we sure that we're actually capturing all of those views? And if we're not, how can we make sure that we are capturing those views? Because really, we should be centering minority voices when we're talking about issues around belonging and, and inclusion, because often those voices are, are really hard to reach and often aren't heard. So what I'm thinking about when, when I'm kind of interrogating that data is, whose voices am I hearing here uh, and number of voices isn't necessarily uh, more important than the kind of the, the quality of, of that feedback that I'm getting back in and the representative nature of that feedback so I think that's that's one thing um, I'm also looking at um, you know when we ask certain questions perhaps if we want to understand people's kind of demographic backgrounds when we look at people who choose not to disclose that information, I found that really interesting because non-disclosure in itself is a finding. So, for example, what I've been finding recently is um, a lot of cases where if 
we've asked people to disclose that demographic uh, data um, when we look at people who have, have chosen to not provide that and then we look at their experiences from the rest of the, the survey, we find that they're actually showing lower scores. So for me, what we're seeing is people who don't feel like they're able to express their true identity are having a less positive experience all around. So for me, that's that's quite interesting. And that's a little bit of a trend that I've been seeing recently. Um, but I think the, the the main thing that that I'm interested in is, is looking at that data and saying, OK, when we look at this by different groups of people, what are we seeing? What patterns are we seeing here? And can we try and split that down even further and get a real kind of deep dive into what you know people's identities are telling us so for example um you know what are perhaps our, our younger generation in in the workforce telling us about um, what they expect from a reward package um what are parents you know with childcare responsibilities telling us about our flexible leave policies and breaking that down even further now we know that people are more than just their identities but i'm interested in in those trends because that's going to tell us a, a different picture and already you know, you see some significantly different results when you look at data. So, for example, we know that women are more likely to respond uh, to surveys, but typically women score higher uh, on engagement levels in, in surveys. So already you start to see different patterns and there's lots of kind of theories and, and research out there as to, as to why that might, might be. But there's loads that we can do with that data. And what I really want to do is to be able to present that back to organisations and say, well, this is the story that, that we're seeing from the, the data and this is unique to, to you as an organization and so here's some of the things that, that you might want to, to consider so yeah there's, there's there's a lot that kind of goes on in my mind when I'm looking at it from from a data perspective and obviously I'm trying to think about for the likes of Lucy and Tracy like what is really helpful for you what is it that you want me to tell you and and often people just want kind of the, the straightforward answer and the easy solution and, and it often isn't because it's there's no kind of silver bullet and it is a, a long-term strategy but like we've said before, you, you do have to kind of start from somewhere, don't you, to, to, to make progress. Yeah. If you don't mind, Charlotte, I've just got a couple of questions just off the back of what you were saying there. And uh, I mean, I could pick your brains for, <laughs> for days about this, but just loop back to the start. So you're talking about the people who um, will, will prefer not to see or select prefer not to see in a survey. Would you say somebody, so say you're a high user yourself, hypothetically not speaking about myself um, would you say to look at that you know that demographic look at prefer not to say as a almost as a demographic in itself take that aside and go right what is happening in this group so I think I think it it almost becomes natural you see the prefer not to say you sort of write that off and go right we'll focus on who we know in this would you say take that group there and really study that in itself as a separate entity yeah, if, if you're able to, I'd say absolutely, because, you know, if we if we're to dismiss what we don't know, we're limiting our ability to, to mm. know even more. And yeah, mm. yeah Tracy will probably. Yeah, totally agree. And I think, um, it, you know, having ran a survey and, you know, it, it's those it's that insight because that's that's the un picked or whatever the terminology is I'm not articulating that right but that is the kind of unknown and it's the unknown we want to un we want to uncover and we want to get to know because it's only when we get to know those things that it really informs like what we do from a business and a strategy perspective so if Charlotte was to present that data for me I would be looking for those pockets of things where 
and I would be curious in terms of, well, why? Well, what's happening here? What's not going right? What's not working? What's the environment saying? So I would be asking myself all of those questions around that data as well. And then I would be partnering with Charlotte and I would be saying, right, okay, what's going to be our action? You know, we've got this insight. So what's the actionable outputs that we need to do from there? Where can we look at? And how does that really inform that strategy that I've got in my head about what what I want from an ED&I perspective for, for Hive. Mm. It, like this might be a, a bit of a simplistic question and apologies if it, if it speaks to my naivete on the subject but do we when people do prefer not to say do do surveys ever ask people why they prefer not to say or do, is that not something that's that's done because I, I because I can, and I'll, I'll kind of, I'll qualify that question. So if I'm putting myself in the shoes of, you know, say I'm part of the executive team and I'm, you know, getting, you know, gassed up to do a bit more work in inclusion and belonging, and we're looking to really take it seriously and look to uncover the data. And I am, you know, I'm putting this out to my workforce. I, you know, if I'm being totally honest here, like I think I would be disappointed in those prefer not to say's because I would be like, I would think, well, you're probably the people that we're most trying to reach and in a way you're choosing not to contribute towards what I perceive as being the improvement of things for you um so is it a case you know have have we ever seen or could we ever see uh, organizations wanting to kind of be a little bit more direct around that kind of prefer not to say criteria or is it more a case that we need to just look to disseminate from the other trends and you know, data inside the report, why people might not want to say who, who they are or how they identify, not who they are, sorry, how they identify. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte, you, you, I don't know whether we'll differ an opinion here, um, but I think sometimes it can be a little, you know, when I get those and people have said prefer not to say, sometimes I go, oh, you know, it's a bit of a sinking feeling, if I'm honest, because it's because it's back to exactly that point you raised. I'm doing this to get the insight to, to help and inform because I want to be an active listener. But it still says that there's something fundamentally wrong in the business when people still do not feel through an anonymous survey that they've got the psychological safety to be able to comment. And often, you know, we'll try and we'll leave a comments open so people can put their comments and come they can put something in there if they want to say something about why they've chosen not to do it but unless I asked a direct question is if you if you tick this box please tell me why I don't know that I would get anything anyway because they haven't had the safety in the first place to be able to to put it in so I don't know Charlotte if you've got a different opinion on that but yeah, no, I, I mean, I essentially agree that, it, you know, there's clearly something if we're to make any assumption about that as a finding, I think a, a safe assumption to make is that people perhaps don't feel as though they can they can share that. And there will be lots of legitimate reasons for that risk of being identified mm. through what you say, if that's going to be an experience that you'll feel is unique to you, you know, totally legitimate. And I would, you know, support anyone who who, who doesn't feel as though they, they they can't say that. And I think we have to think from an organisational perspective, you know, again, thinking about fairness and it being a, a two-way process, 
if a person feels as though an organization is doing them a disservice by you know whatever it is that's created a level of distrust for me the organization needs to work to build that trust back up with that individual and only when the organization has created that environment is the person kind of within their rights to then choose to share that information because you know you 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 don't owe i don't think you owe your your organization feedback on demand i think it's a two-way street where the 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 culture of kind of safety psychological safety needs to be there and then people have a a commitment to, to provide that that feedback but only when they feel safe and so I wouldn't be of the view that that we interrogate those those prefer not to say is but what I would um, say is that perhaps we think about different avenues and mechanisms for gathering that data so um, you know you don't have to do everything via questions on a, on a survey you can think about other routes other mechanisms for understanding people's feedback whether you set up focus groups as a result of the survey and seek to really actively include those people's voices I just think that people are perhaps um, uh, kind of testing the organization on how much uh, you know they can they can trust what what they're going to say because once you put it out there it can't be it can't be taken back so I do think it is a level of judgment that people are making when they choose to respond in the survey they're thinking well are you going to do anything useful with this information or, or am I just going to pour my heart out again and never see anything back yeah. is this going to be used against me is some is my manager going to see all of those questions and I do think they are they are legitimate albeit of course it's very disappointing when you don't get the insight that you that you're really looking for as Tracy's mentioned yeah yeah. No, I, sorry, go on, Tracy. Were you going to say something? No, I was. I was just going to say, yeah, I completely, completely agree um, with, with kind of what Charlotte said. So, yeah, I can't agree enough either. Um, I, I know what you're saying. It it would be a sort of a catch twenty two cycle if people are preferring not to say. You're asking them why without implementing that psychological safety. You just you're going in, in a sort of loop, aren't you? Um, but to touch on something you said there about you know not necessarily depending on on surveying your staff as a means of getting that feedback and setting up focus groups that's been something that we've done that's been incredibly positive at Hive um we set up a, a quality work stream what, maybe a year or so ago now and even just within the work stream how it's how it's sort of grown and progressed in the way that people give feedback and how comfortable they feel mm. giving feedback is is just amazing you know and um, people are becoming more and more comfortable with every meeting that we have um, you know, if we're implementing changes, we usually put in one of these um, feedback sessions afterwards to really, you know, hear from different people in the organisation. And I think just having those regularly um, and with them being a bit more in person and being regular, it it does build up that comfort in people. And um, maybe it's not something that that works well in every organisation, but it's it's definitely something that's worked really well with Hive. It's about building on the confidence from the survey, though. So once you've done a survey and like you say, if you don't get the insight that you're looking for, the action that you need to start is, is as Charlotte says, it, it's looking at the different avenues. And as a result, many organisations will then do a deep, deep dive into kind of the results that separated out and they do this, that and the other. And they set up those focus groups. Those people who have then, you know, if you want to do the same survey, um, 12 month on and then redo it and then relook at the results that will be um, those things that you've done in that interim period will be an indication of how well you've done them based on the next results of the survey so it's always about kind of just like retaking the temperature on that as well and looking at um, have you built that level of trust somewhere throughout that year which has now reduced that prefer not to say and I think that's the key to kind of 
building on these and building that kind of culture within the organization as well. Yeah, I think that's it. And, 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 you know, to be honest, that's, that's a really good, it's a really good opportunity to kind of move into the, into the next part of, of this discussion, which is, you know, how to take it forward. You know, we've, we've started talking there about, you know, psychological safety being an, uh, an enabler of this type of thing, and then looking to kind of incorporate that over a period of time leading up to, you know, the subsequent round of surveying, for example. And I mean, just to kind of not dwell on it too thoroughly, but, you know, just in terms of, you know, creating that psychological safety for people, we've kind of, we've sort of presented both sides of the coin in the sense that until we create that psychological safety, more people won't come forward. And yet, somehow the own like we still have to understand how to create psychological safety for people who haven't come forward and yet still tailor it to them in a way that would make them feel more comfortable about coming forward next time so it's looking for that uh you know kind of all-encompassing approach and yet using that to create a greater sense of specificity in a way so like i guess what are you know some really kind of if you're going to look at say i was like because i'm an, i'm a simple person so i always look at quick wins right if we're talking about some quick wins somebody who was gonna you know step away from this webinar and go okay here's something i could do to increase a sense of psychological safety like what are a couple of like quite high level maybe and it could be that i'm looking at it too simplistically i appreciate that you guys might be going this isn't a quick thing ben this takes <laughs> years of excruciating work but you know, how could we distill that if you were like into say 30 to 45 seconds of speech? <laughs> uh, I don't know whether you want me to kick off. I think the quick wins for me is just taking a step back and looking at the avenues you've got for individuals to share information with you and look at how safe you feel those avenues are for them. So you know, not wishing to, to kind of promote Hive the platform, but we have that open door functionality in there. That is one avenue. Have you got focus groups? Is that an, another avenue? And, and I think before you take maybe that approach is just look at what the data is telling you and look at the data and let that inform you in terms of thinking about those different avenues you can set up, which are pretty quick to do. You're always going to have, you know, individuals within your organization who are passionate about different topics and different things and draw on their passion, because when somebody has that level of passion, you will see that getting driven forward. So, so that would be some of the things that I would say, take a look at first and foremost. Charlotte? I was just going to say off the back of what you're yeah. saying about um, making sure the things are ac actionable. I would say make sure that you're using your internal comm strategy as well in a way that really works for your business. So if you are setting out surveys, make sure you're following that up with, you know, we've this is our results. We're feeding that back into the organisation. You know, we hear you. We're going to look into this. We're going to review it. Once that review has happened, you, you're internally sharing that as well. Make sure that you're, you're telling your people that you are listening and that action is coming, even if it's not, you know, it isn't something that can be implemented quick, uh, quickly. It, it is something that's still at the forefront of your mind so they don't feel that a survey is being run um, that maybe was completely unnecessary or that their voice has been lost in. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to that, I, I would say that, um, you know, creating that kind of honesty and, and openness where I, I think you can take a lot from an organisation in terms of how um, how things are dealt with when things don't go to plan. 
So what kind of culture do we have when, you know, uh, things don't go as, as we thought they would? Do we open an honest uh, and positive dialogue about that? And do we support that as leaders? And are we open about our own, you know, mistakes as leaders? And do we create a space where it's okay to make mistakes or do we penalise that? And yeah, in, in my mind, you do the former. That's kind of a rhetorical question. But um, I think leading from the top on that will, will really kind of demonstrate to people, actually, this is an environment where whoever you are, will support people through just kind of learning from, from, from mistakes and promoting that positive dialogue, uh, checking in with, with, with people regularly, you know, not waiting for, uh, for, for a survey as a, as a space for people to express their views. Actually, the relationships that people have with their immediate line managers are incredibly powerful and have a really big effect on people's levels of engagement and, and belonging. But like Tracy said, making sure you've got a diverse range of avenues in which people can share their feedback, but also making sure that, that dialogue is two-way. Often when we think about communication, we think about telling people stuff, but actually make sure that you've got both sides of the coin. Like Lucy said, once you've committed to, to doing something, make sure you update people because people will actually be sitting and waiting to find out what's happened as a result of that information that they've shared. And if they don't hear anything, even if stuff is going on, make sure you tell people, otherwise people will assume that it was wasted and useless and then they won't participate next time Fair enough. Yeah. I, I can't agree enough with that first point that you made about eliminating that, uh, that blame culture from an organization I mean if we're talking about inclusion and belonging um, I mean you, you unlock so much potential in your people by you know removing any of that aspect of blame and being so open and honest about the mistakes you're making yeah that's, that's a really important point there Charlotte. What are we seeing from 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 customers Charlotte as it relates to this kind of thing what what, what would you say is kind of some of the, the key trends that we see yeah so like I said I'm seeing more um more organizations really willing to to you know dive deep into this area and actually once people have done that what I'm finding is that um often it's not as bad as people thought it was going to be actually you're finding out yeah no we did already know that we did already sense that something was going on there and I think for people it's it's helping them join the dots between the theories that they perhaps had it in their minds but were too scared to test and now we've got the results then our, our theory is you know is supported so um I really like that and I really appreciate that um psychological safety is a key one I get asked that question quite a lot well how do I go about creating psychological safety and it is an, an element of well it's not going to be a quick fix because trust takes time to, to build up um, but also there are some fundamental things that, that you can look at um, and yeah people really wanting to um, diversify their, their mechanisms for gathering employee voice I'm seeing a lot more kind of organizations setting up focus groups and setting up groups of people who who, who kind of champion and own engagement which is which is great for us that's the stuff that I like to see where it doesn't just sit in the hands of an HR person amongst everything else that kind of gets lumped into someone in HR's role so um, I'm seeing a lot of um, really positive things moving forward and um, you know I think you see that in in some of the responses as well you know like it's always really nice when you know you've asked people um you know what more can we do and sometimes people say you're doing a great job and I always think it's really nice to share that positive feedback as well that people don't just take part in surveys to to have a moan and have a whinge actually people value that opportunity to say thank you to their leaders for everything that they've done and, and just express how how well things are going so 
um that's kind of the positive side of things some of the you know the watch outs that i'd say is particularly when we're thinking about um gathering the perspectives of of, of minority voices is that um you know you're, you're likely to get a contrast of, of opinion when you ask people the same question and it can often be difficult to to um to balance that so on one hand people may say this is a really inclusive place i've never seen or experienced discrimination and then you might get two people who say something very different and i think my perspective would be that you really need to focus on where you've heard that because for me if it's if it exists somewhere it can exist anywhere so i think that's really important to um to, to understand that and take forward but um everyone's views are kind of equally valid i think it's you know organizations wanting to understand how they balance those against each other and, and what that means for them Right. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I, I totally, um, I think that's, that, that's, that's a really, you know, valid point is like, just because, you know, one person's saying it, it doesn't mean that you only have to focus a tiny little bit on it. You know, like it's, it, if anything, as you say there, Charlotte, like it's, it's that, it's the fact that it's the outlier or the discrepancy that leads to it needing, you know, more, ex, uh, what's the word? examination that's the one i was looking for um not like me to not have some words like um cool well what about what about us then from a hive perspective you know lucy and tracy because you know it's it's nice for us to sit here and talk about what we're seeing from other people and what other people you know could or should be doing but you know what 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 have we done and what are we continuing to look to do as it relates to stuff like this yeah so um Back to last year, we we kind of put a stake in the ground and we ran an ADNI survey internally. Um, we have fed back on those results. Um, I think the year 2020 is around the people strategy for me, and it is about the ADNI and a listening strategy. Um, so I've partnered, obviously, using our own internal expertise with our people science team. So we're looking at um, what that journey looks like for us this year. So, we, you know, we're going to work together, look at that insight that we had, and then actually just do that deep dive analysis in terms of what informs our listening strategy this year in terms of the surveys that we will do. Yeah. We also um, last year reviewed our values. We started some work on our culture. Um, you know, we did the culture canvas with some of our teams. And that's really important for me to really drive that forward this year. There were some other kind of priorities that took a little bit of precedent. But people's strategy for 2022 for Hive is absolutely about culture, which surrounds everything that we do and those pockets of things. So we're looking at the frequency that we do the surveys. We're looking at how we use our open door. So we're also kind of just you know, deciding what we're going to do with that and how we're going to change that up. We've got our work streams in place. So we've got our own internal uh, focus groups in terms of the complete and value prop employee value proposition. We're looking at all of the key touch points within that value proposition and looking at what we do, what our policies say, how are them informing this, you know, our ADI strategy and our listening strategy. And then we will kind of, you know, evaluate them and, and evolve them going forward. There's a lot of work that we're doing or we will be doing this year on um, unconscious bias, you know, in recruitment, in performance discussions and leadership discussions and development. So we're looking at all of that as well. So massive agenda for us in 2022 on this whole piece. Um, so I guess it's a, a, a watch and see, you know, but I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm very passionate about it because, again, 
you know, the people profession were the custodians of culture, but I don't actually own it. And I, and I can influence it to a degree in terms of the, the initiatives that we do from a business perspective, but it's down to every individual. Mm-hmm. Lucy? <laughs> I'm not sure there's much I can add to that. I think you did all of that absolutely perfectly there. All right, fantastic. Well, I think to be honest with you, I think that that's I think we've we've covered most of it, and I think that's probably a good place to to leave it for for this particular topic anyway. Um, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll thank you three very much for for joining me for this and for uh, you know adding your insights and your expertise. And um, thank you to everybody for watching. Um, as always, for any further information, feel free to check you know any of us out. I imagine it's going to be one of these three though. Check them out on uh, on LinkedIn and uh, keep an eye on the website as well for any further updates. So thank you both. For, thank you all three of you very much for joining me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.